This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Welcome back to Hey Bartender Podcast. I am your bartender for the evening. You can call me Anthony. I'm completely cool with that. Guess what, people? I am at my 200th episode of Hey Bartender Podcast. I cannot believe that I've gotten it to last this long. But with the help of some fans and some kick-ass guests, I've been able to make this have some longevity. And you know what? I'm having a lot of fun all down the way. Uh, You know, my show has been gradually growing in the last 200 episodes uh downloads are going up i'm able to get some really kick-ass guests and you know i'm having a ton of fun doing this i cannot deny it i mean sure doing the podcast i do this all by myself some of you uh some of the podcasters out there not knocking them i appreciate them i am uh hope to reach their level someday they have producers they have uh, editors, they have promoters, they have social media people. I've been doing, doing it all by myself for the last three years, and I'm still having a lot of fun with it. It's great. And uh, you've been along with me uh, along the ride, and you've gotten to uh, hear about some of these awesome guests that I've had. And, you know, I sat back and thought, this is 200 episodes. You know, what do I do? And so I sat back and I thought about it, and I've been thinking about this for the last, like, four months. Uh, You know, I'm nearing my 200th episode. You know, what do I do? You know, now, some people would go out and, you know, do a live show somewhere uh, on location in some place that would have something to do with what uh, what they podcast about. Or some people would just ignore the fact that they just reached uh, 200 episodes. But I can't ignore it, because this ride has been killer. Uh, so I decided to do what they used to do back in the 1980s. I decided to do a clip show. I went back in the last 100 episodes and picked out some of my favorite spots. And, you know, I'm bringing it up up to you guys. And uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, I'm going to tell you, uh, we're going to play some of the clips from previous episodes. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that happened behind the mic. And uh, let's see if we can have a little bit of fun. But first, as usual, we got to start off with the drink special. This 200th episode starts off with the drink recipe for a drink called Man O' War. Uh, it sounds uh, really tough. Sounds really, it. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um it's, uh, of course, a drink. It's, uh, the according to saltandwind.com, uh, the skill level to make this drink is for a beginner. Uh, it contains six ingredients. takes about five minutes per, per, to prepare, and uh, don't worry for anybody's diet. It is dairy-free, gluten-free, and vegetarian. It can be good for any season, so let's check this out. The ingredients that go into it are as follows. Two ounces of good quality bourbon or your favorite rye whiskey. Maybe uh, if you before you uh, give this to a uh, customer, you might want to ask them. You know, what's your favorite whiskey? What would you like? Uh, what kind of whiskey would you like to put into it? Because you put good quality in front of something, it might not be uh, 
something to somebody's palate. You know, maybe they appreciate Jack Daniels more than they appreciate Louis the Fourteenth. Even though I don't, that's not a bourbon. But anyway, let's uh, let's get past that. Uh, two ounces of good quality bourbon, one ounce of Chantreau or other orange flavored liqueur, uh, half ounce of sweet vermouth, and a half ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice. Brand uh, brandied cherries or lemon peel for garnish. Now the instructions here. This is a uh, a lot here, so you you might want to take a mental note of this. The crushed ice, according to the instructions here, here are pretty much the key. So. What you want to do is get yourself a handful of ice cubes in the kitchen and put them in a towel and then beat the shit out of it until it they're about grape-sized pieces and put enough into a cocktail glass, then you set that aside. Now, how you make the Man of War cocktail, you fill a cocktail shaker halfway with ice cubes and then add the bourbon, rye or whiskey, Chantreau, sweet vermouth, and lemon juice. Close the shaker's... Uh, and shake it until uh, it's thoroughly cold or at least 20 seconds. I think 20 seconds may count as shake the shit out of it. Okay. Taste and add more lemon if you want to more tart or Chantreau if you need it sweeter. Strain the, uh, then to serve the Man of War cocktail, you strain the cocktail into the ice-filled cocktail glass, spear a few brandy cherries and a few bits of lemon peel onto the, uh, onto a few cocktail toothpicks. 200th episode, I've said a lot, and now I can't talk. Uh, And then garnish each glass and serve. So this is definitely a bourbon uh, uh, recipe that's made a little bit sweeter. Uh, It says it's good for any season, but, uh, you know, that sounds like a probably uh, refreshing summer drink. So that is how you make the Man of War cocktail. Uh, If you are one of those people out there that has a drink that you would like to share with the rest of the class, or you have a story or even a question you would like to ask a bartender. Uh, you ha- you're having some problems. You've got some uh, something you just need to get off your chest. Email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. I'd love to talk with you about it. I'd love to talk on the show about it. And it um, let's uh, if you want to be a guest, please. I love having guests on this show. Just let me know. Either DM me on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. All of those are Hey Bartender Podcast. Or just email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. Now, the last 200 episodes, I've uh, you guys have made me feel pretty damn good uh, for a guy that's just doing a podcast in his own house, has a day job, and just comes on and tells bartender stories and encourages other people to come on uh, to tell their stories and promote themselves a little bit. That's all I really want people to do uh, is because every one of you people, you bartenders, your servers, anybody that works in the hospitality industry, you deserve a chance to really promote yourself because not only are you very important to the industry, you are that definite cog in the wheel that needs to be there. Otherwise, the machine will not work. And uh, you guys come on with your great stories and not to mention, you guys got a lot of side projects that you're working on, and I love to uh, get you people on here, talk about your lives, and then uh, you know, and then bring up what you're doing on the side because life isn't all work. It definitely shouldn't be. For some of us, it is. There were times in my life so far 
where all I did was work. That's it. That's, you know, work, 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 work. Never, you know, having time to go make friends, get in relationships. And uh, so, you know, anybody who wants to be on Hey Bartender Podcast, you are more than welcome. And I am dying to meet you. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that would love to hear your voice. Hell, I'm even planning on pretty soon just because of a little, uh, oh, you know, a little bit of, not incentive, what word am I looking for, Uh, encouragement from uh, one of the guests you'll hear later on uh, to do start doing Hey Bartender podcast videos and put them on YouTube. Now, um, as most of you know, I do most of my interviews via Zoom, and so... I've been kind of holding off on that, but after seeing there's a lot of people that do podcasts and uh, they do Zoom interviews because of COVID, you know, they can't bring, you know, fly somebody into Southern California to sit there, interview them uh, uh, because they're on the other side of the United States, plus travel restrictions and all that stuff. Uh, they're, they've been doing Zoom interviews. And then, you know, after a little bit of encouragement, I thought, why not? So maybe in the next hundred episodes, I will start doing videos and not only will you be able to listen to Hey Bartender podcast in the car, but you might be able to uh, watch it either on your tablet, your smartphone, or even on your television. You've some of you have seen what I look like. Can you imagine me on your 50 inch screen TV or bigger? I don't know about, I don't know about you kind of scares me a little bit, but uh, you know, nothing wrong with being scared. First clip I'm going to share comes from uh, Shauna Swain. From episode 106 of Hey Bartender Podcast, Shauna Swain was a bartender, or, or is a bartender at Zen Asian Fusion and Charleston, South Carolina's Bartender of the Year 2020. Uh, the thing that I found fascinating about her is, uh, well, I wanted her on the show, first of all, because she was celebrating that she was uh, named Bartender of the Year. And whenever I see somebody getting some kind of accomplishment like that, which I don't see... Uh, a whole lot on social media. So when you guys get some kind of accomplishment, bang it like a cheap drum for Christ's sake, you know, be proud of it, put it on your resume, no matter what it is. But she posted on uh, social media that she was named uh, Charleston's bartender of the year. And so obviously I was like, I gotta get her on this show. But unfortunately during that time, COVID was happening. And so it turned into a conversation about uh, what she's doing during COVID, and I became uh, impressed and started admiring her on how she was able to stay busy, not to mention reinvent herself a little bit. And uh, this clip will pretty much tell you uh, uh, everything that impressed me about her. So here's uh, Shanna Swain from episode 106. Just to get uh, get a little current, how's your uh, how was your quarantine? Quarantine was weird. Um, it was the first time that folks in my industry and myself uh, were vulnerable like that. Uh, we've been through recessions, depressions, hurricanes. We've, we've been through all of that. And we've been largely untouched until this. So a couple weeks went by and I realized that we were not going back to work and that became depressing. And then I realized I had to do something about it. So I, um, 
I went to real estate school. I'm almost done with my real estate license. I have my exam. Thank you. <laughs> I have my exam on the eighth. I, my girlfriend told me that she she was enamored because she said you reinvented yourself during this time. I said I don't have any choice. Like I have kids. If I can't make drinks, I got to figure something out. So I would cook for people if they needed it. I went to real estate school, and like I said, I would host cocktail crafting classes, teaching people classic cocktail and teaching them one fun one that we made up. So, so you were, uh, you started kind of an independent bartending school. Yes. Well, sort of, it wasn't a fish, but there were, there were crowds of people who wanted to get jump on zoom and learn how to make drinks. So that lasted for only like the last month out of COVID. And Uh, then I had to get to work. So, yeah. Uh, so you're back at work now. Yes. I'm back at work. Um, and I bartend tonight. Yeah. It's Sunday fun day. Yay. Yay yeah. <laughs> now I could have picked a more interesting clip, but that, uh, that clip could have pretty much summed up everything in a really fine nutshell of, uh, how she handled the quarantine. She just jumped up and decided, okay, I'm, I need money. I need to feed my kids. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And to catch you all up, she has actually finished real estate school. She still bartends a couple nights a week. What, but, she also does real estate at the same time. So that is really encouraging to me that she was able to, instead of sitting at home wondering what's going to happen, what am I going to do? She just got off her ass and just decided this is what I'm going to do. And nobody's going to stop me. At least the way it felt like it to me. Now I'm going to let you guys know. Now some of these clips are going to be a little bit longer than others. In fact, I'm just going to split this up into two different episodes because I just can't get enough of some of these things that some of my guests have said because some of the stuff they say is so poignant, so powerful, and it's just been a lot of fun on this ride. So anyway, the next clip comes from episode 116, the interview with Shane Smith, who's a wine distributor and lead singer of the Prisoners of New York. Now, I'm going to tell you now, I always get caught up talking about music with people it's uh, both a blessing and a curse because I love talking about music. And uh, there have been a couple podcasts where we stopped talking about bartending and we ended up talking about music for a little while. This is probably uh, one of the first instances in the last uh, 100 episodes. Well, actually, probably all the episodes. Because uh, this is a story where he tells me about how he came about to want to uh, get back to be a musician. I mean, he still wanted to work in wine. He still wanted to work and uh, do the job that he wanted to do. But his passion is music. And the this story that he tells about how uh, just all of a sudden one night, him and a friend were just sitting around, and all of a sudden inspiration hit, and they didn't ignore it. They just ran with it. Have a listen. I read uh, on your Prisoners of New York uh, Facebook page, that mm-hmm. uh, basically you and a friend, uh, was it? Or was it your brother? Uh, uh, what do you, you were, the you're, started you're, the band? You two basically were sitting at a bar one night and then yeah. all of a sudden just decided, let's try this. Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's clearly like a bigger story than that, but it's, it's uh, a friend of mine, like a really amazing guitar player, um, which you'll... Here, I guess later. Um, it 
we've we've done some other musical projects, and he actually is a guitar player in a in a live karaoke band uh, to make to make cash, and he teaches guitar lessons. But he's we had a band together that was just it was called Sword Fight, Sword <laughs> and Fight. it was just me, it was me on drums and him on guitar because I actually played drums too, but I'm a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was you know lasted about a year, but uh, I had just been coming up with song ideas. I had kind of stopped my attempts to ever try a band again going back to that that initial thing of like i gotta i gotta find some other way to make money and i ended up working in this wine store that turned into kind of a career for me actually by but totally by accident and then bartending kind of evolved after that um i had kind of put that on the back burner and i did a couple of acoustic sets where i'd go and play five or six songs it was some night you know a couple of times a handful of times mm. and then singing a little karaoke people knew that i could sing but it wasn't really like in the forefront at all, you know? And I was just kind of getting more inspired to like, what could I do to start this again? And I was coming up with songs. I was, I, I never stopped writing songs, but I was writing a lot more rock songs. And I just kind of ha- ended up meeting up with the, the guitar player at a show that was ironically this, um, somebody that worked at, at that bar, St. Vitus bar where I got my ribs broken. <laughs> and we went across the street to, to rock and roll. And where my brother was working weirdly and sat down at a table, just having some beers. And I'm like, man, if I started a band again and you got it. And I said, you you know, I would want it to be like a band, but no one was going to try to push me into being like something that I'm not a Mm -hmm. uh, stylistically or something. I'd have to write most of the songs and kind of be in control, but it would be like a bluesy riff, heavy riff rock band with me singing kind of bluesy, soulful vocals over, but really based around songs, like real songs with a chorus and a verse and a bridge and, you know, not just jamming a bunch of riffs and then trying to throw some vocals over it. And rock and roll is decorated with all these pictures of rock stars and stuff. And the table is all laminated with just a collage of famous rock stars. And on that table were like, was ACDC and Bad Company and some different bands that are like big influences of mine, like weirdly sitting on that table, like that very table we were sitting at. And then I proceeded to get kind of drunk and forgot the whole thing. <laughs> and the next afternoon I got a text from the, from Andy and he said, so is this idea of this heavy bluesy rock band just all drunk talk or do you really want to do this? And I was like, oh shit. And I'm like, you know what? Why don't we? <laughs> yeah, that's... Let's do it, you know? And uh, sort of in a roundabout way, we ended up getting my brother on drums. Um, he was about to have a, a kid, so he was kind of not available, really. But he, we worked it out later that he could kind of join us on drums. And then an old friend from the from the rock world here in New York, thrilled to join up on bass, wasn't in a band at the time. And he's he's a guy that's played with some famous people too. So uh, uh, that was one of the things that kind of happened out of a drunken, literally out of a drunken conversation. I think I kind of painted myself into a corner. <laughs> And how long ago did that conversation happen? That was 2014. 2000. Uh, sorry, 2015. 15. So in June, June of 2015. And you guys are still writing songs and playing and. Yeah, we just released that EP with uh, nothing, uh, uh, nothing to lose on it. Uh, we recorded a bunch of songs a while back, and once again, in Saint Vitus, Saint Vitus is, uh, comes up a lot. Uh, we, we'll go into a bar of somebody we know and set up our recording equipment and record kind of turn it into a studio mm-hmm. record during the off hours. And then we have to be packed up and ready to, and ready to load out of there at six o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that the band's playing that night can load in, but um, we haven't been able to, to rehearse of course, because of quarantine and all that stuff. Uh, lately we've been talking a lot. Um, 
there's a possibility we could get a couple of gigs where we're actually distanced from the people listening. We'd play inside of a bar through the window, <laughs> people sitting on the street, which, which I'm sounds pretty awesome for me. <laughs> you see there, I have to admire these people because uh, some of us get a little bit stuck in our everyday jobs and we tend to ignore things that we're passionate about, things that we love to do. And some of us don't ever come to the fruition that we can actually turn that into a career or something that we love. We can set time aside to do some of this stuff. And Shane, it he made it sound like it was so simple. It was just all of a sudden, duh, there it is. Uh, you know, we're writing music. I'm, you know, and he had all of his influences basically staring him in the face on the table. And, uh, yeah, his record's available if you want to check it out uh, on the streaming services. And, uh, yeah, he was just a cool guy to talk to. Okay, the next clip. Oh, it's this guy. Uh, Well, you know what? I'm not going to talk shit about this guy because I can't. He has been a supporter of Hey Bartender Podcast from almost the very beginning. Uh, He ran across my podcast, and he's been sending me uh, encouraging notes all the time and has been helping me promote the show. And finally, finally, I gave him a call and I said, dude, you want to be on the show? And he was like, hell yeah, get me on the show right now. And, you know, cause I couldn't help it. The guy, um, is, uh, he's been helping me out. He even sent me a video one time of him and his friends listening to Hey Bartender podcast in a park in New York. And I'm just like, that's just so freaking cool. And so I got him on the show because he's been nothing but cool to me. And uh, he's actually a really cool guy. His name is Boogie Lives, or at least his Instagram handle is at Boogie Lives. Uh, he's a bartender in New York. And uh, I got him on the show. And... Like I said, he's cool as hell, and after the show, he and I were having a uh, conversation uh, because I, l- I like to talk to people a little bit before the show and a little bit after the show, just so, you know, before the show so they get comfortable and after the show, just in, you know, just to discuss, you know, is there anything you didn't like? Is there anything you don't uh, you want me to cut out? Definitely. And he and I got into a long conversation, and it I want you to listen for this because I uh, hope he doesn't get mad at me for this because he self-proclaims that uh, he's like, uh, he was telling me that, I don't know if you wanted, I uh, wasn't sure you wanted the guy on your show that sounds like he's Rocky Balboa. You listen to him now, you will you will hear it. So anyway, from episode 130, here's a clip from Boogie Lives. When you started bartending, did you realize that uh, it was that was where you wanted to be, that's what you wanted to do when it came to working in the rest service industry at least? I just saw, well, you know, um, you know, you've seen my pictures. I've, I've got a buttload of tattoos all yeah, over me. So yeah, the options are very limited. I can't, you know, I can't even work at Starbucks if I wanted. <laughs> but it comes down to, like, I can wear whatever I want. I can look like whatever I want. Or just bang out a shift and make a lot of sales. And once I realized, you know, I was happy doing that. And you're always meeting awesome people just seeing old friends and it's, yeah, it, it was just the way to go. I got, yeah, I like talking to people all the time with strangers. And when I see strangers, I introduce them to other strangers and make friends out of them. 
So yeah, it was, I, I like what I do. So tell us about uh, the customers that you got hanging out in there. Uh, just generally, you know, uh, what kind of people do you got? <laughs> oh yeah, they're all over the place. Oh, forget about it. You get up. And early in the day, you get the old timers, you know, guys in the 50s, 60s. And uh, they're great. And you get the youngins with. It depends on what day it is, really. Like, all right, let's say if it's daytime, it's all the people, like, usually. It's a lot of fun. Great conversation. On the weekends, it's. They, you know, the youngins trying to slip in with a fake ID and get something. What time's the typical? I don't have my ID. Check my bag. I don't have it. Look, I'm going to check your bag. <laughs> Make sure you don't have it. Okay, yeah. go back. Yeah. A lot of that. Everyone thinks they're so smart. You know, the young is. But it, it's, it's a punk rock crowd. They like to drink. They tip. They're real funny. They hang out. Everyone well, knows everybody. Everybody, uh, people walking in with like Sex Pistols t-shirts and uh, things like that. Oh, the people watching is awesome out here. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. We got this one neighborhood guy. He just, I don't know what his deal is, but he has, like, no teeth in his mouth. He looks like he never clipped his fingernails in his life. He walks up and down the block, the same, just exactly the block. He won't go around the corner across the street. Just up and down the block, talking his hand like he's on a cell phone, but there's no cell phone in it. <laughs> and it's... And you just want to give everyone a fist bump that walks past them, like, all day. That's his thing. Yeah. So it's interesting to see the way people treat him, you know. Things are, he don't mean no harm, but that's, it's, you know, he's not all there, but we look after him. Now, talking to Boogie Lives, he, uh, he really painted a good picture of New York for me. I mean, just by just that little clip that you heard right there, uh, it gave you a real good description on uh, where he's at, what he's doing. Uh, and you know, even after getting to be a guest on the show, he has been a huge, huge supporter of the show. And I thank him, Boogie. I thank you so much for being a huge supporter and spreading the word of Hey Bartender podcast. You've been a great help and you know, I can't thank you enough. The next clip comes from episode 132 with Trey Elder and Matt Justice. I at one time was, uh, looking all over bandcamp.com to look for independent music artists that I could pr promote, help promote on my show, play, get their music, get some airplay and, you know, try to help them out a little bit. And I saw this album called quiet pterodactyl. I found a song that I liked and I emailed them about it and they said, uh, well, uh, it's kind of a compilation album of a whole bunch of artists in Chicago. And, uh, so, you know, it's not just one artist, but if you want us on the show, we've both worked in the service industry at one time or another, we'd love to come in and talk about that and plug the album. I was like, hell yeah, get over here, get on, get on this show. I'd love to have you. So, um, they came on the show, but I had to ask them, you know, cause I asked this of a lot of people who are into, uh, who have a passion for acting have a passion for music. How do you separate your work from your passions? Because you need to eat. And sometimes your passions don't, um, you know, pay that well. I mean, Hey, bartender podcast isn't paying me anything right now. So, uh, they throw out a couple bits of advice and, uh, 
tell some of the stuff that they do. So anyway, here's Trey Elder and Matt Justice. How difficult was it to separate having to pay the bills while working uh, working at a bar at uh, any hour of the day, pretty much whenever the manager tells you to, and still be able to work on uh, work on your music, work on planning events, all that stuff? I say it really depends on where you work. Uh, a lot of, I feel like a lot of independent, like local businesses tend to be more understanding. Like, like if, if I hire a bartender or a server and I know that they're an actor or they're a musician, like I'm going to, I know to me, I know that going in and I'm going to adjust the schedule according to when they are able to do the things that they're passionate about. But I know if you work for a lot of like corporate places or hotels, like, they don't give a shit about your personal schedule. Oh you know, they're like, this is your schedule. <laughs> and that's the way it is. And, so, and, and at some local places. I mean, like, it, it depends. Yeah, I think it depends, it really on depends on the place. who your employer is and how how much, and when, it, when it comes down to how much they care about their staff. Um, yeah. It's not just how much they care about your schedule. It's how much they actually care to support their own staff. And if you're, and I, if you're lucky, then you have a place that does that and allows you to, yeah, that freedom to do both. And if, but I know there's a lot of, yeah, it's not just corporate places, but, uh, but they, they definitely are known for not letting people, yeah. they, oh. don't care, they don't care about your outside life. Mm. Uh, unfortunately. I understand like the idea of like not, or feeling like you can't do that because your job would fire you or like you can't schedule anything. It, 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 and that, that really hurts artistic creativity, at least for me. Like I, I had a job where I was just like I had, it wouldn't let me, it wouldn't work my schedule even though no, like knowing like two years, I like working really hard at this. Like when I started, you know, doing better at it, you know, it, it was a constant collision of thought where I was just had to leave. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, obviously, people need to pay their bills, and everyone's circumstance is different. But if you work, if you're, if you want to make a career out of playing music. And or that is just like you're the most important passion you have, then don't work for a place that doesn't uh, that doesn't like yeah. there's just otherwise you're just you're miserable all the time. Yeah, all the time. Because you're not really enjoying being at work because you resent them for that, and you're not really enjoying the other things that you want to do because yeah. because of work. So again, I not everyone is fortunate enough you know, to that, have yeah. that option. But if you thing, if you know no, right away like this this bar this restaurant isn't going to care about this other thing that is the most important thing to me, then just don't fucking right. leave it. Like you're just butting your head against the wall. You will never be able to. Okay. So you know, like I said, those guys really knew, uh, you know, in order to reach their passions, in order to do what they really wanted to do, whether it became to event planning or playing music, they had a mutual understanding with their managers. And uh, you'll find out a little bit later uh, in some of the other clips that I'll find uh, that I'm going to be playing. Uh, sometimes you work for people that are just dicks about it. They're like, no, if you're going to be off that night, if you need that night off, you've got to find somebody to cover you. And if you can't find somebody to cover you, you better be here. And uh, they really put it in perspectives where uh, you're, if somebody doesn't let you work on your passion, you maybe you should start trying to decide whether or not you're happy there. And it's... Um, and it sounds like them working in their uh, particular fields, they're very understanding when it comes to somebody that wants to work on their music or go to an audition or something like that. It's pretty cool. 
Now, this next clip is a very unique, uh, was a very unique show for me. Uh, it's from episode 134, Interview with Adam Hall. Now, the way this episode came about was I got an email from his uh, girlfriend saying, Hi, hey, my uh, boyfriend and I are huge fans of the show. Would you please send him a clip uh, or send him an audio clip of you saying happy birthday to him? And I said, well, tell you what, I'll do you one better. I'll give him a shout out and just make sure you listen to the show. And she's, oh my God, you'll do that. And uh, it was, you know, she thought that was the greatest thing. And I said, oh, hell yeah, I'll give a birthday shout out. I'd love to do that. And which resulted in uh, him uh, contacting me saying, thank you. His, uh, his girlfriend told me that, uh, she was going to get a reaction video of him because I asked for, I wanted a reaction video. She was going to get a reaction video from him. And when I talked to him about it later and he goes, yeah, she couldn't get a reaction video because I was uh, a little drunk and in my pants at the time. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Then I wouldn't been able to use that on Instagram or TikTok or anything like that. But, uh, after, uh, I gave the birthday shout out, they thanked me for it. And I said, Hey, you want to come on the show? And they were more than he or Adam Hall was ecstatic about it. He was more than happy about it. So um, I got a chance to ask him some questions about the differences between the liquor laws because uh, he lives in Brighton, UK. And I had a chance to ask him what the difference between the liquor laws in the United Kingdom versus the United States and tipping policies and stuff like that. It was really pretty interesting to me. So here's a clip from episode 134, Interview with Adam Hall. Did you have any uh, really rough nights where you were questioning whether or not you wanted to be a bartender ever again? Oh, well, during the lockdown, I was, I had moments when I was a bit sort of shaken, thinking like, oh, I need, I need money. Because well, obviously it's not the best paid job in the world, but it's, it always comes down to money, unfortunately where you sort of think like, oh, I could have a boring nine-to-five office job and I could earn double what I earn as a bartender. Because in, in England, our, we get paid hourly and we don't really get many tips. Really? There's, there's a lot different on that. Yeah, no. It's, instead of tips, people buy us drinks and that's sort of it. We don't get like cash tips. Um, but then our hourly pay will be a bit more, I think. So, yeah, it's, no one really gives cash tips unless it's just for food. But sort of, if the locals are in and they're all buying drinks, they'll probably buy us a beer or buy us a shot, whatever, really. But, yeah, no, we don't really get many cash tips. Are you allowed to drink on the job? Nope. Ah, okay. The- so we always, we'll keep them for after work or our day off and then we'll, we drink, we pretty much drink for free at our pub because of how many drinks we get bought. But, yeah, we no, our company is very work is work, then leisure is leisure. Don't mix the two. Exactly. Uh, I which, have... which I think which can be good. I've worked <laughs> previous jobs where you could drink on the job. But here's another story that's a good one. Uh, it depends on the establishment and what the li- local liquor laws are around here, whether or not you can drink behind the bar. Uh, there are some states uh, that are very strict about that where uh, 
if you uh, if you even forget that you pulled down a drink uh, off the bar and put it underneath the bar so you could remember to grab it later and put it in the dishwasher, the Liquor Control Commission, if they decide to check the place out and make sure that you're following the proper laws, they might think, well, this drink is... This you were probably drinking from this. Oh, look, it has alcohol in it. We're going to find your bar because you, know, you can't prove that you weren't drinking it. Wow, wow, that's that's a lot different to here. Well, yeah, it, that's that's crazy. But that's one yeah, state. That. I mean, <laughs> that's one state. I mean, yeah. if uh, in states that are a lot looser with their liquor laws, let's say uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, where they serve alcohol twenty four seven, and I don't exactly know if they have any rules about uh, drinking behind the bar, but they might be a little bit looser on that sort of thing. But uh, there are some states or even like counties that are incredibly strict and uh, like small towns that say we're, we're a dry town. You can't have any liquor period in this town. So I think for us, I think don't question me on this. Um, it's just down to the business. I've never known it to be a law here in England where they say you can't drink behind the bar. I think it's the business's call whether they say we do not want you drinking and you can get in trouble for drinking. So it's actually you cannot, it's the law. So I think that's for us, it's just down to whoever's in charge. That was from episode 134 interview with Adam Hall. Uh, funny uh, thing that was happening during that podcast. You might have caught it. Um, at one point, I did say hi because she was sitting right next to him. I said hi to his girlfriend, Harley. And all I saw was an arm. She just waved her arm off to the side. And uh, he told me the reason why she uh, she wasn't on there. Uh, she didn't want to show her face. It, no big deal to me. But uh, at the time, she was very, very pregnant. And so uh, if you remember an episode or two ago, I decided to ask them uh, or just blurt out right in the middle of the con, uh, right in the middle of the podcast. Hey, Adam, have you had your uh, baby yet? Because I haven't heard a thing. And I ended up getting a message from them saying that, yes, they welcomed little baby Morgan on the uh, 5th of August uh, to this world. And, you know, congratulations, guys. Uh, you make you guys, first of all, made me feel really good that uh, you're fans and you wanted to be on the show. And second of all, um, that uh, I was able to wish, you know, wish a fan a happy birthday. That's totally new territory for me. And that gave me a really good feeling that I have actual fans that listen to the show across the ocean from me. I mean, uh, I can look at my statistics and see that people uh, all over the world have listened to my show. And, you know, I'll have uh, a couple thousand listeners in uh, the United States, uh, uh, maybe a thousand listeners in in Canada. But uh, just knowing and meeting an actual fan from the United Kingdom, that was totally cool. So, you know, thanks again for being uh, contacting me and being on the show. Now, this next clip is from episode 136, interview with Kimberly De Niro. Uh, Kimberly is a comedian, 
bartender uh, writer um, in New York. And I found her on TikTok doing uh, what your drink says about you type of things. Uh, and they were funny. They were really, really funny. And I thought, once again, I see this girl and I'm like, I got to get her on her show on my show because, uh, you know, things I look for in people uh, to be on my shows that they're chatty, that they're uh, friendly. And, you know, it, it's, you know, because they're going to be talking to a guy that they've never talked to before. And for a lot of these people, they've never been interviewed before. And so when I saw Kimberly talking about her, uh, uh, talking about her bartender stories and her opinions on what your drink says about you, I just absolutely said, I got to get this girl on the show. But at one point during the show, she starts talking about uh, at her place, celebrities often show up there. And of course, uh, whenever somebody talks about meeting celebrities, I've got to ask them the stories about it because uh, I got to know. I, 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 and and well, mostly it's jealousy that they get to meet celebrities and I don't. I'm hoping that one of these days I get uh, a celebrity on the show that used to be a bartender uh, before they became an actor or uh, CEO of a large company, just so I can get their point of view on what uh, what they did before they are who they are. So anyway, uh, yeah, I really go off on Kimberly about a few celebrities. So uh, here's Kimberly De Niro from episode 136. So uh, you accidentally said that you get celebrities in there, uh, and I always when I, when people mention that, I always have to ask, oh, "Who have you met?" I want to know. Yeah, I am. Um, I think I. I don't know if it's like face blindness or if it's just like that service industry thing where, like, when you see someone. Like, honestly, we would have regulars and I, it would take me so long to like, remember who they were. Like, I'd remember what they drank, but when you get so busy, it's like everyone just is someone who wants something and you like, don't see them as individuals, you know, like (laughs) when people would be like, Oh, can you get that for my table? And it's like, I don't know what table you're sitting at. Like, I only am looking at you as like numbers right now. So celebrities would come in and like, of course I knew who they were, but I would just be like, okay, like I I can't, I don't, (laughs) I can't recognize you. And my coworkers would always make fun of me because I like carded the Jonas Brothers. I like had no idea. Who they were. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool, right? Like they look so young. They look like you know little boys. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's allowed to be in here. Um, we had like Adam Sandler come in, and it was like my first. I was very new to serving, and I like messed up his credit card oh. because um. It was so bad. I'm like still like to this day shocked I didn't get fired, which is why I also am like very protective over my boss because <laughs> he's been very nice to me. Um, and so like we usually don't run tabs for the tables, mm. but for some reason that night, two tables had given me cards. So one of the tables went to close out and they were like, oh, that's my card. So I ran it and they left and went home. And then Adam Sandler's table was like, can I get my card? And I was like, totally. I only had one card left. So I gave it to him, ran the card, and he was like, um, this isn't my card. And I was like, it has to be your card. It's the only card I have left. So it turns out I had given Adam Sandler's table card to the other table, and they went home and left with it. <laughs> and it was bad. It was really bad. Because I was like, I have no idea how we're going to track that down. And, like, if it says his name on it, like, if you had Adam Sandler's credit card for the night, like, wouldn't you, like, run it up? Like, I don't know. I would debate. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you were a good person, yeah, you wouldn't. But, I mean, 
Um, Let's see how far uh, this Happy Gilmore getting- money gets me. <laughs> Exactly right. I mean, he doesn't deserve that. He was very nice, but um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was so stressful. Um, but they ended up being able to switch it back because there was like an account, um, there was like a company name on the card, and uh, they called that company and then switched them back. Well, he was like interviewing on like Conan the next morning, and my owner had to like drive there and switch it back with him. Oh wow! So yeah. That was the most stressful celeb encounter for sure. <laughs> but after that, I was like, whenever I would train people, I was like, I don't care if you remember the t- the table number that goes with the tab. Like everything has to be like marked down. Like everything has to be super organized because you might give a celebrity's credit card to a stranger and then they run off into the night. <laughs> so now, now you being a comedian also, did you ever try to throw some of your shtick at them just to get them to notice maybe say hey this this girl's funny (laughs) no i just i don't know there's something i can't imagine a scenario in which um a celebrity who i like admire and respect who's like in the field that you know hopefully i'll be able to have like a full career in would see like a funny bartender do something and be like that's it she's a star like I'm gonna take her out of here and put her on a tv show or hire me for my writing staff I had like a few things that like definitely like whipped my ass into gear where people would like ask me for my card or ask me for my website or something and I didn't have those things available and then I was like okay next time I'm gonna be prepared you know for these kind of networking um occasions but uh yeah I didn't I mean I remember one time there was like the uh creators of South Park came in and all my coworkers were like, Oh, you should go and like charm them, you know, with oh, your wow. jokes. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go and take their order because <laughs> I really just don't see that going well. Like <laughs> riffing my bits on famous people like Bill Burr was there and they were all like, no, you should serve him. You should serve him. I'm like, no, Bill Burr is not going to let me open for him because I had a witty retort about his vodka soda or something. <laughs> Now I enjoyed really enjoyed her story where she actually admitted to me- messing up uh, Adam Sandler's card and carding the Jonas Brothers. That's just hilarious. But the messing up Adam Sandler's card because all of us in the uh, service industry we screw up a tab every now and then. And she is full on ready to own up to it. She has no problem with it, and uh, her boss seemed to be really cool about it. But uh, as of lately, I've uh, the TikToks that I've seen and her Instagram posts. She's out performing. She's out doing her uh, doing her comedy in New York. So I totally suggest that you guys uh, go check out her uh, Instagram or her TikTok because she's really funny, and you'll find out where she's uh, performing next. She's awesome. She's hilarious. Now, next up, I got episode 153, interview with Armin Basha. This guy came to me uh, asking if he could be on the show to plug his music, and... Uh, to sweeten the deal, he made sure to mention that he works in fast food. And I was like, good enough. Yeah, come on the show. And uh, to my surprise, he is from Croatia. Now, once again, this is another one of those times where I was like, oh, my God, people are listening to me overseas. This is so cool. And so I definitely had to have him on the show. Um we talk about uh, music. We talk about uh, server life and stuff like that. But I, this particular clip, I had to ask him, if you're in a strange place and inspiration hits you, 
what do you do? Because, uh, like I've said on, uh, this podcast, um, I come up with ideas for shows all the time. I mean, they're just coming at me in all directions. Like, ah, so I got to write them down. And, uh, if I don't write them down, the ideas are gone. They, they, they just, they never come to fruition. I never remember them. So I needed to get his opinion on what he does. So, uh, here's a clip from the interview with Armin Basha. Uh, do you find it hard while working around that type of stuff to find inspiration for, uh, or do you actually find inspiration in while you're working? And because I asked you before, uh, when you, uh, do you find yourself, you're sitting there, you're separating the chicken and all of a sudden you get this great idea for a riff or lyric or a beat or something like that. Do you you know, try to keep it in your head the whole time until you're able to get home and actually write it down or whatever. Uh, does that ever come up? Yes, yes, it does. Uh, but mostly angry stuff. I, I, I recorded a uh, hardcore punk EP and only was more in, inspired by the work, the work at KFC because it can be sometimes so hard and there are so many people passing by and you just look at them and they stare at you and I don't know their energy. No, not everybody is kind, you know, and their energy just uh, goes on to you and yeah, mostly the angry stuff. Uh, but also some nice melodies, you know, like uh, I work now at uh, the second restaurant in my career, so-called, the the first one was uh, was more more awful because they played this radio station where ten pop songs went on on repeat and you just went nuts and and you had no other choice than just survive through that and finding some kind of beauty in it and uh, I I believe that affected also my uh, uh, producing taste. And things like that because those tracks are awesomely produced. They are like uh, huge, 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 hugely produced. But uh, but yeah, when something nice comes up to my head, I usually try to uh, hold it. And when I come home, I try to recreate it. And uh, yeah, yeah, but. Uh, uh, it's it's not that easy because it really drains you out, you know. And when and as I was uh, off now for two weeks because I actually catched COVID, it was uh, a nice experience to myself. To be honest, I had two weeks just for me and my guitar playing and developing my creativity again. And uh, I played every day the guitar for like five hours practicing my skill and uh, you know it, it, it was pretty nice that period but as but as i'm now back to work everything just fades out kind sure. of way i should do better transitions in between when i'm actually talking uh and the clips shouldn't i but anyway that was uh episode uh clip from episode 153 with armin basha um he was really a uh, mellow laid back guy and once again, he and I got stuck uh, on a couple points of talking about music. Uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, he was telling me about various things, the music industry that's happening in Croatia. And uh, it's not all that different from 
in from where he lives to like in here in America where uh, the music industry generally is either around LA or New York, maybe Seattle. Um, but uh, uh, Seattle, you know, maybe Seattle. I mean, uh, ever since grunge music kind of went by the wayside, it doesn't really stand. Seattle doesn't stand out as much as it used to, but uh, LA, New York. Yeah. Um, Croatia seems to be, where all the musicians hang out and go perform and try to get discovered. And uh, it was just really, uh, really interesting for me to talk to him and find out uh, about another country, really, you know, from the uh, from my own office here in uh, West Texas. This next clip comes from episode 166 with interview with Chuck Parnell. Now, uh, Chuck Parnell is b- bouncer, bartender, and he's also owner of A Little Crazy Entertainment. Now, this part of the conversation, this uh, podcast was another one of those podcasts where I kind of got stuck talking about music and uh, bands and stuff like that. It, but he did have a lot of interesting uh, bartender stories, but uh, bartender and bouncer stories. But the thing that I really admired about him is his vision of what he wanted A Little Crazy Entertainment to be. And you'll hear in this clip that uh, it's not all about him making money. He wants to make sure that the artists get the credit and get what they deserve from all their hard work and, uh, you know, their creativity. And, well, well, you'll hear about it. Here's a clip from episode 166 with Chuck Parnell. What else do you do with uh, your production company? At the moment, that's about it. I would love to grow it to become, I would love to have a record label Mm -hmm. and not just to put money in my pocket, but to keep the artist, you know, do, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but do it, you know, 70, 30 in my favor. Once that album, say I, say I was Geffen Records with Appetite for Destruction. Yeah. 70, 30 to the band 30 goes to the band 70 to me once i've recouped what i've put into that album we sign a new contract 60 40 in the band's favor the 40 percent more is just for distribution copying sending it out there keeping it flowing Mm -hmm. and then we do the second album the same way and then after 10 years or whatever the band or songwriter owns whatever they did on that album they own the masters i can't keep it like uh i think it's richard brackman the guy who owns virgin owns all the originals of the rolling stones right um it's you know it's like michael jackson owning uh, elvis presley elvis um, presley paul mccartney yeah i know what you're talking right. about <laughs> yeah be like that i would want the originals to go to the actual artist the actual musician mm. and i'm not like i say if i could live off of whatever i made fine I'm not looking to go rich. I'm not looking to live on an island off, you know, Florida or something like that. You don't want the copyright so you can keep music alive. Uh, you don't want the copyright so you can charge, was it a half a million dollars to play satisfaction on a, on a TV show or right. something like that? <laughs> right. I know a little bit about uh, copyright law and some of that stuff out there. It's, it's just crazy. I mean, Sony right now, they, they own the rights to the Beatles music, but it's, yeah. it's just the, uh, I think it's just the mechanical rights. They they can mm-hmm. they can't play the actual Beatles song, but they can hire somebody to play the Beatles song and get away with it. Right. But yeah, when come like Paul McCartney, he he 
he tells that story all the time where he was talking to Michael Jackson and he told him to get into copyright and stuff like that. Cause uh, I guess Paul McCartney owns the rights to a couple buddy Holly songs, I think. And right. that's, and that's why you never hear a buddy Holly song really ever on a TV show or anything like that. Cause mm-hmm. it's insanely expensive in order to do it. But to give the artist that opportunity to, at least in the future, uh, get their master tapes because uh, well, we were talking about Metallica earlier and they announced, what was it, two years ago that mm-hmm. they uh, they got uh, they bought the right the rights and the master tapes to all of their music and right. uh, and James uh, well, visually looking at him, you can tell he was beside himself, he thought this is this is a big deal, this is awesome and, but he also talked about his kids, uh, where they were, he's like, we own the rights to our music now. And they're like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Molly uh, crew did that too. Really? They were with Electra. Yeah. Electra, um, the president had retired or whatever. And the new president of Electra hated him, could not stand him. And Nikki six had made an offer to her to sell back everything. And she let it go for almost nothing. And that's how now all four band members of Motley Crue own 25% of Motley Crue. Oh. They own everything, all their masters, all that stuff. That's, uh, that. in my opinion, that's the way it should be. That's something that a lot of bands don't ever think about when they sign mm-hmm. a record deal. Uh, they think, yeah. oh, we're going to travel worldwide, we're going to make tons of money, but they've got to pay those bills first uh, for right. all that stuff. And it sounds like that your intention when... Uh, if you were to uh, go out and sign a band is uh, the ultimate goal that you want to achieve with that band is that they have full control over their stuff. Yep. And yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, if they sign, basically sign a long-term agreement with me, say 15 years, 10 years, whatever, at the end of that, you can take, you, you take everything you have, everything you did. The idea is I'm doing a good enough job that they're not going to want to go anywhere else. They're going to stay with me. Right. You know, they'll stay with the little crazy records and stick to it. Uh, that's what, that's what I've always wanted. I'd, I'd love to have a band and have them stick with me for X amount of years sure. know, or their whole, their whole uh, lifetime. Now I wanted to make sure to play that clip of him talking about what he wanted to do with a little crazy entertainment, because a lot of musicians that I've dealt with while working on this podcast uh, a lot of them can easily be dissuaded or, uh, you know, enamored by a record contract that could uh, potentially screw them over. I was at, uh, back in the early 80s uh, when uh, Guns N' Roses was discovered. Geffen Records pretty much told everybody, uh, told all their executives, I want you to go out, find every band that even remotely sounds like Guns N' Roses, sign them. And then we're going to change their whole format because I've been in bands before. And if somebody were to come up to me and say, we got a recording contract for you, I would be overly excited and quite possibly forget to read the fine print. So, uh, you know, what Chuck, Chuck Parnell is basically pitching is that you can work with him uh, and he will help you work towards own owning yourself. Because when you sign a record contract, you uh, you don't own you. Somebody else owns you. And uh, you got to start learning the business side of things. 
and Chuck Parnell seems like he'd be a really uh, big help with a little crazy entertainment. So just putting that out there for all you musician musicians out there. Now this next clip comes from episode 170, interview with Chavo Quintana. Quintana. Uh, yeah, I think I said it right. Uh, he is the owner of Unique Mobile Bartending. It's a traveling bartending service. And this guy is really cool. Uh, he's really friendly. He seems like one of those type of people that has never met a stranger in his life. He knows how to talk to people, knows how to be nice to people. And, you know, of course, we all have uh, bad days, but he's able to uh, bring it back and continue on with his day. We, I mean, come on. Uh, we all have bad days. But um, this uh, clip that I'm about to play for you is him talking about uh, the way he deals with it. And, uh, yeah, he had a bad day, but he was able to work his way past it. Check this out. This is uh, from episode 170 with Chavo Quintana. But sometimes customer service can uh, can be really tough. I mean, you've got a, a good personality. You uh, sound like that you can pretty much talk to anybody. But every once in a while, you hit that brick wall, that person that you, there's absolutely no way in hell that you can make them happy. And uh, tell us some secrets on how you deal with that. So it's just killing them with kindness, man. Just try not to let it get to you. And and trust me, it, it's hard. I, I don't always do it. There's there's times where people they'll they'll get me, you know. And I just I'm just like fuck, you know. I like there's just no winning. There's you're not gonna win them all. But at the end of the day, all you can do is try. And now that I'm older and I've been doing this for a lot longer, it, it's just you you don't know what those people what 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 kind of day they're having, you know what I mean? Cause it, it could all be just like they had a bad day and, and you're the scapegoat. You know what I mean? You're the one that's getting it taken out on. Right. And you just got to deal with it and just, you, you got to be thick skinned, man. You got to be thick skinned and, and just be able to take it and just, just keep that smile on your face. Cause at the end of the day, we're, we're there to make tips, you know, and, and for any reason they can stiff you. They, they don't need to have a reason to not tip you. Mm. You know what I mean? We need to give them every reason in the book, to tip us so if they come in with that bad attitude and you know you're not going to win them just just try just try even and then at the and then if, if even they leave just a buck right then you won right you won because they, they were already having a bad day you already went into that situation thinking or knowing that you were going to get stiff so to get a buck i'm like i'll take it right you know yeah uh i think it was uh i think it was you earlier this week i posted on instagram uh like uh, the customer's bill comes to $24.50. They give you 25 and say, uh, oh, yeah. you know, keep the change. And yeah, yeah. Uh, your solution for that was uh, I liked uh, where uh, where you said, go ahead and bring the change back and hope that they, you know, throw a little bit more on there. I really loved that answer. Yeah, and see, and that's, that's now today in, in, in my wiser days, right? But if you would have asked me that, 10 years ago and this is true story so i worked at a nightclub and you know a guy comes up and orders a crown it's 450 and same exact thing gives me a five keep the change and i brought it back give him the, I, I would always bring your change back if, if it was like change change like coins you always got that back even if you told me to keep it mm. this particular night i was having a rough night it was we're full-blown nightclub session and uh the guy just leaves the 50 cents right there. And I literally got it and I chucked it at him. Like, Hey, you forgot your change. And I threw it at him. <laughs> we all have and nights I, like that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and as I did it, it was like, 
I fucked up. Uh-huh. Like I, I messed up right now. Like I'm going to get in trouble, but it embarrassed him so much. He turned around and gave me two bucks. You know what I mean? Oh. He was just so embarrassed. Cause it was, it was a crowded night. A lot of people, girls were around, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, it worked for me that day. Yeah. But to this day, like some of my old coworkers, like my Facebook memories will come up and like one of my old coworkers always comment on like, Chavo, I'll never forget. And she was, she was the bar manager. She was like, I'll never forget this night. Yeah. Like, you threw the guy's money back at him and, and you got two bucks out of it. Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who, who throws money back at somebody to get a better tip? Yeah. I, I do. And it worked. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, it worked for you that night, but uh, it did. It did. It you, did. But I, I'm sure I you've did, matured over time. <laughs> no, yeah. No, yeah. Now it's just, I, I'll take it back. I'll leave it there. And when they're gone, if it's still there, cool. If it's not, whatever it is, what it is. Mm. At the end of the day, man, those 50 cents, they're going to add up. I, I got a, I got a, like a coin jar. That every time I get home with any kind of change, I throw that thing. And once it's full, I'll go cash it in. And, you know, $500 later, I mean, it's all coins. I mean, that was pretty inspirational, wouldn't you think? I mean, uh, sure, you have your good days and your bad days, but it all comes down to we got to uh, get out there and we got to make that money. We got to do what we can. If we have to be nice, it's all about the money at that point. Now, uh, Chavo actually, uh, there was a lot of stuff in his episode that I wanted to use, but that one I felt was most important, but he actually has started his own uh, mixer brand that he's currently working on promoting and selling. And, uh, he's also taking the time to teach his son, just like he was taught when he was little to be responsible and be a businessman and pay, pay his son to help out. And showing, uh, giving him a good work ethic. And I admire that a whole lot. But around this time in the podcast was about the time where I had a sponsor. And the I, I was approached uh, to be sponsored, actually. And I thought, this is so cool. Finally, I'm going to start, you know, make a couple extra bucks and uh, doing this podcast because you know, let's face it, we all everybody that makes a podcast wants to make a couple extra bucks. But this is so cool that I'm going to be on a contract. They're going to pay me so much, uh, a little, you know, not a lot of money, but some money. I'm going to get paid to do this show that I absolutely love to do. And uh, during uh, the time when I was with this uh, with this company, uh, I was just all I had to do was do in one uh, uh, one minute promotion of something that they were about to do. And that was it. And, uh, for, uh, and the original contract was for like eight episodes or something like that. And I was just like, Oh, this is so cool. I've always wanted to do this. And then I came out with an episode called, I don't get around much. And apparently I got a call from the, uh, the woman that was in charge of doing the uh doing the setup for me to be sponsored and give you a brief backstory on what the episode of I don't get around much meant was I never ever took advantage of any of the women that came into my bar if they were drunk uh, I don't care how uh, much they were all over me I uh I didn't partake I don't and if I thought they were really gorgeous. I was normally too scared to talk to them just because that's who I am. Pretty women intimidate me all the way back to high school. And I mean, if any of my the girls that I went to high school with, if I didn't talk to you, 
uh, there's a 70, 30, 80, 20. Oh, well, there's a good chance that I uh, thought you were really pretty and you intimidated the shit out of me. But I talked about how I never took, took advantage of any of the women that came into my bar. Uh, and all of a sudden, I got a call from the lady that organized this whole situation, told me that the sponsor was offended by that episode. And I went, how were they offended? And she goes, well, apparently she uh, thought it was uh, really offensive and sexist. And I, I, to this day, sit back and I think about it. And I'm like, but I was the victim. I, you know, I didn't take advantage of these women. There's a lot of male and female bartenders that take advantage of situations constantly. And I, uh, I never did just because I didn't think I could, uh, my conscience would allow me to do it. I, uh, couldn't do a one night stand. I can't, uh, I didn't want a woman to wake up the next morning, see me lying on the other side of the bed and have them go, Oh God, what did I do? I think that would really kill my self esteem. So anyway, I lost the, the sponsorship. They gave me the money for the time that I did. But, uh, and, you know, it was still a small sum of cash that uh, helped out for whatever uh, financial problems I was having at that point in time. But still, it bummed me out. So, uh, yeah, that's, but that's the way it goes. I mean, uh, in this day and age, uh, you got to be a little bit more careful. And there was a period of time for this podcast where I was really, really, really gun shy about anything that I said on this show. I uh, I was like, well, I can't talk about that, or I have to be gender neutral when I talk about that, and uh, because and to me, it's really hard to make something gender specific or non gender specific actually, and when it's a true story and. The stories that I tell you guys on this show are true and the stuff actually happened. And, but if I have to change all these stories to be non-gender specific, it's really hard to do and really, really stressful. But you know, you got to sit back and think about it. If that's what I have to do in order to give you guys a show that you will enjoy, something you can relate to, something that the sponsors will pay me for. I guess I have to do it. Anyway, which leads up to the next episode. Episode 176, Shannon Moore Returns. Uh, Shannon Moore, is, she's been on the show before, back uh, when it in the early days when I was, I think I was still in the 20s when I was making episodes. And uh, the she is a longtime good friend of mine. She... Uh, took me under her wing, taught me a lot about customer service. She and I worked together for a year and a half at the same bar. We've been friends ever since. And uh, so she had been working in the bar and hospitality industry way longer than I have, dating back to 1985. And after that conversation I had with, uh, the, uh, with the sponsor about, you know, I've got to be a little bit more political correct or... Uh, uh, support the now movement or whatever. Um, uh, I decided, well, let's take a look at things the way they were back in the 1980s. And the first person that popped in my head, of course, is my good friend who was actually there. And 
so I uh, so I called her up and I said, listen, uh, I want to do a show that talks about what bar uh, what the bar and service industry was like back in the 80s compared to today. And she's like, oh, God, I would love to talk about that. Bring me on. So anyway, here's Shannon Moore talking about the difference between uh, what work was like in uh, versus the 80s and 90s compared to today. The change in the 90s, it almost went from, it, how do you say it, formal wear to business casual, it sounds like, uh, the difference between the 80, uh, 80s and 90s. Yeah, so in the 80s, I was cocktailing with three-inch heels on for nine hours a day. Wow. And we had to wear skimpy cocktail dresses. Mm -hmm. At first, when we started there, we were wearing these crazy little cheerleader outfits, literally cheerleader outfits. Mm -hmm. And then later, it came to like these polyester, like wraparound really short in the front, longer in the back with like a sequin belt and three-inch heels. Did you feel like a showgirl? or? Yeah, they were <laughs> disgusting. And I went through so many pantyhose, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. You know, because we, we had to wear pantyhose. Right. You probably had those, uh, when pantyhose used to come in those plastic eggs, you probably had those all yeah. over the place. legs, pantyhose, legs, <laughs> pantyhose. I think I... I spent a million dollars on legs pantyhose back in the day. <laughs> so, and of course they were black. Of course. And, but you get one run in them, you can't wear them again. Right. Happened easily. And then in the 90s in um, Oswego Bar and Grill, it was kind of like an Oswego on the lake kind of place. Mm -hmm. So in the daytime, we had to wear polos and, and khaki shorts. And then if we worked... Like dinner and then cocktailing, we had to actually change our clothes into the nighttime wardrobe, which was a black skirt and a tuxedo shirt and a tie. Mm -hmm. So we had to actually go in and change if we worked dinner and then cocktail. Now that's uh, now just the uniforms alone, that's changed a lot. Yeah, uh, even up to the point where I started bartending in '99, uh, because all the cl uh, all the places that I went to—not that I went to any fine dining or uh, a lot of clubs—but uh, even the uh, strip Jeans clubs, and bar shirts. Uh, even the strip clubs, the uh, the uh, the uh, cocktail waitresses didn't dress like that. They wore vests and black pants in a white shirt most of the time. Well, it just got, when I, and then I was in Wankers in the 90s, it was blue jeans and bar shirts. Yeah. It's, you wore logo bar shirts and you wore jeans. Yeah. That's the way it started out for me. Well, well, and when I was a banquet bartender, I had to wear a really stupid vest and a stupid, even dumber bow tie. Yeah, we did. I did banquets too. And yeah. We had to wear, we had to wear the tuxedo. I call them the tuxedos. Yeah. But when uh, when I got when I met you, uh, it was the uh, the Hawaiian shirts and jeans. That's it. Yeah, and well, yeah, the Hawaiian shirt, and that's what Wankers had to do. Yeah. At first, we had the Hawaiian shirts, but then we started incorporating just liquor T-shirts that we could wear mm -hmm. um, when we were doing promos and stuff. But yeah, your jeans and your Hawaiian shirt, depending on the bar that you worked in. 
you know, would depend on what shirt, but they, you know, out here where it's more casual, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what they were doing downtown at that point. Cause I didn't really go downtown, but the cup, the club started dying out in the nineties. Right. Okay. Now people, that was just a clip of uh, what Shannon had to say uh, between the eighties and nineties and up to today. It, um, uh, because there are a lot of huge changes. If you listen to the interview, she talks about how uh, people tr- uh, people treated other people differently. I mean, you heard how much th- uh, just the uniform changed over just 20 years, or 15 years in her case, uh, of uh, how to act in a restaurant and stuff like that. And... Uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not an excuse uh, of how you should act in a bar nowadays. I'm not saying that, but times have changed, and of course, all of us people that work in the service industry, we ha- kind of have to go with the changes. And sometimes the changes are a little hard to deal with, but uh, some of the changes are uh, probably for the good. I've kicked out many a guys who thought uh, who were customers in bars from way back who still think it's okay to slap a woman on the asses after they take their order and that don't fly in my bar they fly after they do it in my, out of out of my bar but uh do that act itself no i don't put up with that well crap people it's uh one hour 17 and a half minutes into this show I'm going to have to do a part two. I am so sorry. I'm I'm one of those assholes on TikToks that has, says, like for part two. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, there's still a lot that I want to cover for this 200th episode celebration. And, uh, you know, uh, you guys, once again, thank you so much for listening to Hey Bartender Podcast. Special thanks to all the guests that I've had on for the last 100 episodes. The next episode will pop up on Saturday, uh, August, whatever day Saturday is. Um, Yeah, I'm grabbing my phone right now looking at the calendar. August 28th with the other half of this episode and uh, where I'll have more clips and more behind-the-scenes talk about stuff that happened during this podcast uh, as I was making this podcast. But uh, remember... If you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, and uh, Facebook. All of those are uh, Hey Bartender Podcast. If you want to go to my website, www.heybartenderpodcast.com, and check out past episodes or check out some of the swag that I got on there, go ahead. Go check it out. Um, And just remember to go to www.heybartenderpodcast.com. If you want to contact me, I'm thinking about starting a new section on this show where I answer questions uh, that you know people might have because there are questions that people will ask bartenders long before they ask their uh, ask their doctor or psychiatrist or something like that. And I want to uh, help other people and uh, widen my listener base a little bit more. Uh, and so if you want to contact Hey Bartender Podcast, if you just got a question, you want to be on the show, you want to tell me about a drink that you just invented, or you want your band to be heard on this show, all you have to do is email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. 
Also, if you're the type of person that works and has to eat on the fly, uh, I want you to try Raw Rev. They uh, have high-quality plant-based protein nutrition uh, nutrition bars. They come in a variety of flavors. They are delicious. They uh, Some of the flavors that you get are creamy peanut butter and sea salt, peanut butter, cho- uh, peanut butter dark chocolate and sea salt, double chocolate brownie batter, and birthday cake. That's, those are just some of the flavors. If you are one of those people that kind of has to eat on the fly, no matter who you are, what walk of life that you're on, you keep one of these in your bag, your briefcase, your pocket, and you've got something when that hunger hits you to tide you over until you can get to something that's healthy. There's really no reason why you uh, should feel like that. The only thing that's available is to stuff my face with a handful of French fries just to get back on the floor. Go check out Raw Rev right now. The link is in the description of the podcast. So that's in for part one, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I want to thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all my guests that have been on the show. I will uh, be back next week with more. So until then, as usual, that I've told you for the last 200 times, lots of love, lots of sex, lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got here!